Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. On today's show, we're going to talk about inner peace with two authors from different perspectives. Our first guest talks about how to declutter your life and how to bring prayer into that mix. Our second guest co-wrote a book on finding peace of mind in an increasingly busy age. Today on Catholic Baltimore, we're talking with Mary Elizabeth Sperry, the author of Making Room for God, Decluttering and the Spiritual Life. Mary has worked for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops since 1994 and served as Associate Director for USCCB Permissions and NAB Utilization. She calls herself a self-proclaimed pack rat, and she wants to help readers make decluttering a prayerful, peace-filled, and soul-expanding experience. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you so much. So I love the book. It was. Uh, I am also a, a pack rat, so it's not fun to, to read a book like this at times because it's very challenging. But I loved one of the things you said uh, fairly early in the book. It says, having possessions, even lots of possessions, isn't bad in and of itself. It's our relationship with those possessions that matters. Do we own our possessions or do they own us? Talk to us a little bit about that and, and how that kind of thinking motivated this book. Well, we all have certain things that we need to have for our jobs, for our lives. I mean, no one is saying we should all own, you know, one blanket and, you know, one lamp and one chair. There are things that make our lives comfortable, that make our lives more beautiful, that make our lives more productive. Those have value. But we get to a problem when protecting our possessions becomes more important than loving people, when taking care of things and acquiring them becomes our primary goal in life. That's unsettling, it's disturbing, it changes our priorities. When you would rather be home with your stuff and taking care of your stuff than being with people you love, that's something to look at. I often think that in my own life, and I can only speak for my own life here, that I have a tendency to use my possessions as sort of like a grown-up blanket fort. I use them to keep other people out and me inside. I never said I was mature. I just, you know, I've thought about this. We use it as a way to keep other people out and to protect us from having to need other people or to interact with other people. If I have everything, then I don't need other people. And that's where it becomes a problem. Your possessions become a goal instead of a tool. You're striking a balance here. Like many other books on decluttering, you say you have to go through stuff and sort of put it in a pile, keep, toss, you know, donate, whatever it is. Uh, you're doing the same kind of thing, but you're adding this faith element to it. How does that work? How does that provide the balance you're looking for? As Christians, the fundamental claim of our faith is that in Jesus Christ, God became human and entered into human life in an intimate way and so changed our relationship with each other and with God. That is a fundamental claim of Christianity. So we believe that in the Incarnation, God made things good. 
you know, even in creation, he made things good, but in incarnation, he made every element of human life is something that can be taken into God. And so even the ordinariness of everyday life has religious value. And I think that's something that we're not always aware of. You know, religion is when we're praying or when we're going to church or maybe even when we're doing a service project or something like that. But the ordinary elements of everyday life, that's not religion. And I don't think that that's true. I think that our faith has to be part of every day. And how we use the goods of the world has a religious impact because it relates how we, what we think is more important, God or things. It relates to how we relate to other people how we relate to the earth and the planet. And if you just look at the traditional practices of Lent, Lent seems far gone now, but Mm -hmm. prayer and fasting and almsgiving, it's really about resetting our relationship with God and stuff. You talked a little bit about almsgiving, that actually decluttering can help you with your almsgiving in a couple of different ways. First, by generating donations of donating stuff that that you want to get rid of, but there's other ways that this really kind of helps you in your almsgiving, right? It does. I mean, I've been decluttering really for about two and a half years now, and I'm just about finished. Oh, good. But I've discovered that it really changes my approach to things. First of all, you receive things with gratitude. And when you receive things with gratitude, it changes how you relate to giving things away. One of the things I did for Lent this year was I decided to declutter my kitchen cabinets, which meant using up the food that's already there instead of buying new. And over the course of Lent, I discovered that I stopped saying, what do I want? And started saying, well, what do I have when I was planning meals? And that's a different tack. When you start by recognizing what you have, it becomes easier to give things away. That's the other wonderful thing I discovered in decluttering. Stuff at the beginning, I was like, oh, I can't give this away. I can't get rid of this. I have to hold on to this. This is important. When I went back to those same things at the end of decluttering, I'm like, yeah, I don't really need this anymore. I can let it go. Because it becomes easier to detach from things, which makes it easier to give alms. And when you stop shopping for entertainment, you stop acquiring things just because you feel like it, it's amazing how much more money is in your bank account at the end of the month. There you That's go. Just absolutely stunning. And it's easier to give things away. When there's more money in your bank account, it's frankly just easier to be generous because it's not scary anymore. You talked at one point about the fact that there are times when giving, using things up is a great way to take care of that, like you said you did during Lent. But the other thing is that by not acquiring things, if you set aside a time that says, I'm not going to bring anything in the house that is not consumable, that, is, that I'm not going to use up right away, how does that free you up from creating more clutter? Well, you start to use what you already have. I've discovered that I tend to buy things on impulse, mm-hmm. especially beauty products. I'm being totally honest here. <laughs> I, have, I have enough lotion I could moisturize a crocodile. <laughs> if anybody has a pet crocodile that they're looking to moisturize, please feel free to email me. I'll send you some lotion. I have so much of it. And so I've just had to say, stop. I'm not allowed to buy anymore until I use what I have. I may never buy hand lotion again. I think that is entirely possible that I will never buy a beauty product again because I'm just, I'm using it. And it really changes how you approach stuff. You just, you walk through stores, you're like, yeah, that's nice. I don't need it. It changes how you relate to all the advertisements that come into your world. 
once a day one, or once every couple of days, I just go into my email and delete entire swaths of things without opening them because I get about 25 ads a day just telling me I, this is a great sale is happening. Exactly. And I look and say, I don't need stuff. I've had to actually take catalogs immediately from the mailbox to the recycling bin because my recycling bin is very deep, and once it's in the bottom, I can't get it out without going head over heels into the recycling bin. And so I have to do that because I know it's such a great temptation. And if there's one or two things I may want that I, that I need for something, I will actually tear out those pages and just keep the pages to get rid of the temptation. Because I know for me, catalogs are an enormous temptation. So I'm just canceling them or throwing them into recycling right away to avoid putting myself in a position where I have to keep saying no. If temptation keeps hitting you, eventually you really kind of start to want to give in. If you make the temptation go away, it gets so much easier. It's why I don't shop for entertainment anymore. I only go to the stores if I actually need to buy something, and then I make myself go with a list. I don't always follow the list, but it reduces the probability I'm coming home with 18 things when I need it too. You talk a little bit in the book about praying while you were decluttering. And, And I know I look at it, a lot of people look at that decluttering as just drudgery. Oh, gosh, I've got to do this. How did prayer make that better? Well, you start really with prayers for gratitude, of gratitude. When you realize how much you have, that's really a beautiful thing. I mean, clutter is a new problem. Most, for most of recorded history, and in most of the world even today, you know, having too much is not the problem people are dealing with. Mm-hmm. It's not having enough. So the fact, that, the fact that you have clutter as a problem is a blessing. Is the fact that you have so much. And so you start with gratitude, thinking of the God who's given you so many blessings and so much. And as I go through things, I remember people who gave me gifts, and I remember the gift of those people and how wonderful it is and the good times that are, embraced, that are encapsulated in the memories of these things. And there's a prayerfulness about them. And there's also a recognition of sin. Why do I have this thing I don't need? Was I greedy? Was I lazy? Was I being gluttonous? Was I being prideful? Was I being jealous? And facing those sins has a prayerful aspect to it, too, as you ask God for forgiveness and you ask him to heal whatever it was that made you acquire this. And then you can have a prayer as you decide to give something away, and you pray for the person who's going to use it next. You know, as I get to the end of this process... I'm discovering that's the most wonderful prayer. I think about, you know, I'm giving away this beautiful dress that I loved, and I think about the woman who's going to wear it next and who's going to go to dinner with her family feeling fabulous, who's going to walk into a job interview feeling like she can take on the world. And I pray for her. And that's just such a wonderful feeling. I mean, it's, it's actually better than owning the dress. That's great. Well, any uh, closing thoughts just before we wrap up here? What, what's the one thing that you would say to somebody to get them motivated to, to read your book and then start their, their decluttering life? Two things. One, stop making it worse. If there's nothing else you do, stop acquiring when you don't need it. And two, pick one thing, anything to declutter. And just clearing up that one space and having it one clean, tidy space to set your eyes on will bring you so much peace. You'll want to do everything. 
That sounds great. We've been talking today with Mary Elizabeth Spearing, author of Making Room for God, Decluttering and the Spiritual Life. Thanks so much for being with us today on the show. Thanks for having me. After the break, we'll talk with Joshua Hochschild about helping create a mind at peace. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. There was standing room only as Archbishop William E. Lurie ordained six men as deacons May 26 at the Baltimore Basilica. Matthew DeFusco, Justin Gow, Matthew Himes, Robert Cadefitz, and Tyler Klein were ordained transitional deacons and are on track to be ordained to the priesthood next year. Daniel Mashad was ordained a permanent deacon. In his homily, Archbishop Lurie discussed how any leader needs good co-workers to help lead a flock. Today, he said, the Lord in his goodness is providing such co-workers. The archbishop encouraged the new deacons to practice their ministry, quote, with a fidelity, love, and humility that shows us the face of Christ, the splendor of the Father, and our good and gentle shepherd. For more on this and other stories, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matasek. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android. And follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Baltimore. Today with us on the show is Dr. Joshua Hochschild, who is a professor of philosophy at Mount St. Mary's Seminary and University in Emmitsburg, Maryland. He co-wrote a book with Dr. Christopher Blum, A Mind at Peace, Reclaiming an Ordered Soul in the Age of Distraction. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hochschild. Thank you so much for having me on, Chris. I want to start first with the first part of the book. Right after the title page, you have the prayer of St. Augustine to the Holy Spirit. Why start there? Uh, well, of course, it's always good to start with prayer, Chris. Um, but my, my co-author and I have both been very influenced by St. Augustine um, as, as an exemplar of the whole, uh, the whole Catholic intellectual tradition and spiritual tradition. And, you know, the, the book is, is a practical guide, right? And so if you're going to give uh, essentially kind of self-help advice, uh, it is important to keep in mind that we don't do this work our own, on our own, that we need to call on uh, the graces of the Holy Spirit to, to animate us and, and to actually be the source of, of any renewal that is possible for us. You talk a lot about the digital devices really have added convenience to our time, but not peace. Early in the book you say, today we are less settled and more easily manipulated, 
more often distracted, and more deeply worried than we were 30 years ago. These are not healthy developments. That struck me right off the bat. These are yeah, not yeah. healthy developments. What do you mean by that, by that change in the last 30 years? I think in, in different ways people have been coming to terms with a, a, a kind of felt shift in the way that human beings relate to each other, in the way that we experience the world, in the way that we use our, our time, in the way that we make decisions. Some of that comes from actual social scientific research. So psychologists and sociologists uh, by now have actually compiled enough empirical data to show that people are being affected by digital technology. But a lot of it, even before the, the scientists tell us uh, that, I think a lot of us feel that. For those of us who are old enough to remember life before the internet and life before smartphone, we've noticed a, a change in the way people behave around us and, and most likely a change in our own behavior. And most people have at least very ambiguous feelings about that, about the, the loss, especially of the ability to um, give sustained attention to something, to just to sit still and think about something or read a book or to have a conversation. One of the most important books to come out about the changing dynamics of, of relationships is by a social scientist at MIT, Sherry Turkle, and, and she's written about how young people especially have lost the ability to sustain conversations and that they, they actually feel this and notice it. They don't try to justify it. They don't claim that it's a good thing. They, they feel disconnected from each other, from their parents. A large part of what's causing that is a, a new environment where technology is so pervasive that it's really hard to, to tune it out. That brought up something that I read late in the book where you talked about being purposeful and you were talking about specifically about paying attention. And you said the common English phrase, to pay attention, is misleading. We do not trade or exchange our attention. We give it. As with most gifts, that means we give something of ourselves in the attention, and we find that what we give attention to gives something of itself back. If we're not paying attention to each other, purposefully listening and providing that attention to each other, what does that do to society? That's a that's a great great question. Behind it, the the idea, the the passages that you quoted is that giving attention to something first of all is is difficult. It requires us to to marshal and concentrate a lot of our powers together, and it's it's a it's a learned habit. So it doesn't it doesn't come automatically or naturally. Um, we talk about little children having short attention spans. We learn how to give sustained attention to things, and then to become an, an adult or a professional or an expert in certain areas is to is to learn how to develop a kind of specialized attention in one area or another. To do that requires us to have, have an order and integration in all of the powers of our soul, our abilities to sense, but not only the ability to sense, the ability to, to process what we sense, to organize it, to filter things out that are not relevant, um, and and to see and discern things that would be um, salient to future decision making. That's a very, very difficult thing to do if you're in an environment where many things are designed to distract you or draw your attention away from something else. We know, for instance, that most of the apps on, on your smartphone were deliberately designed to try to get you to pay attention to them as often as possible. 
that's the, that's the economic model, that's the business model that most tech companies operate on is can they get your eyes to, to tune into something? And so in, in subtle choices about how notifications are made or what color things are displayed on the screen, they are trying to habituate your attention so that you feel like you need to give more of it to the screen than to the rest of the world around you. And I just think it's a, an incredibly challenging time for people who are growing up with this technology and have never experienced the world without it uh, to develop sustained habits of attention. We've got just a little bit of time left. You quote a lot of saints in this book, obviously St. Augustine that we already spoke about, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Therese of Lusso. How can saints and holy people from ages past help us deal with today's problems? They never had to answer a telephone or a text or an email. How can they help us? That's a great question, Chris. You know, the, the, the book is occasioned by digital technology, but it's not about digital technology. Um, I have to give, give credit to my uh, co-author, Christopher Bloom. The, the vision for this uh, project was his, and he saw in our cultural moment, which is, I think, very much de defined by digital technology, he saw an opportunity to illustrate the enduring value of the Catholic spiritual tradition. So in one sense, there's really nothing new in this book. We hope there isn't. We're not claiming to have our own particular spiritual wisdom here. But we want to show people that um, traditional wisdom, both from, both from um, the Christian tradition, but also even from, from classical philosophy, about how the soul can be organized and integrated and how a human being can experience uh, joy and purpose in life. Uh, and ultimately, as the title of the book suggests, a, a sense of peace, that, that the, the timeless advice about how to do that applies to our current situation. Uh, but, but it takes a little bit of work to see what are the virtues of, of courage and, and temperance as they apply to use of digital technology? Um, what are the, the virtues of prudence as they apply to navigating uh, the modern technological landscape? So we're, we're trying to recover and apply classical wisdom to a modern situation. The saints give us models because every saint found a way in their particular situation to embody virtue. They faced some particular challenge, and in their particular situation were able to manifest a virtue, and it, it really helps us to have models in mind. Uh, the model is never something that you can automatically translate to your particular situation, but not only can it inspire and encourage, but it can also um, show how it's possible in in small ways and in large ways, to uh, uh, apply the virtues to particular concrete situations. And we all need a lot more virtues these days. We do. So, so thanks so much for being with us. We've been talking with Dr. Joshua Hochschild of Mount St. Mary's University about the book that he co-authored with Christopher Bloom, A Mind at Peace, Reclaiming an Ordered Soul in the Age of Distraction. Thank you so much for joining us, and we appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore.
For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Join Catholic Review Media and the Archdiocese of Baltimore to see the Passion Play in Oberammergau, Germany, June 19th to 27th, 2020. Travel with Archbishop William E. Laurie, Father Michael Fapiano, and Father Jim Prophet on a nine-day, seven-night pilgrimage to Austria and Germany. Land-only price is projected at $3,399 per person, double occupancy. There are still a few spots remaining. Reserve your seat today by visiting archbalt.org slash passionplaypilgrimage. Again, that's archbalt.org slash passionplaypilgrimage. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.